Hey, ahoy there. Welcome. Folks, I invited Sister Beverly to describe some of the path that she took to arrive where she's at today. Now, you may not know that both Beverly and Bob divested themselves of their clerical robes some time ago. I personally have some understanding of what precipitated their leaving a holy vocation that they felt called to serve, and they may be willing to share that with us in a future episode. Until then, uh, be it enough to know that they both continue to evolve as the human beings they were made to become in mind and spirit. That's why I value their involvement with the programming of the show. They continue to learn and grow and adapt to their world. I admire that. I particularly admire the humility they exercise in all their affairs. Well, so enough of the accolades. Let's head into the studio and take a seat at our humble round table. And let's hear what Sister Beverly has to say to us. Sister Beverly, thank you so much for coming this evening you, to share with us. Yes. In the last roundtable meeting, I, I, I was stunned to hear that you were five times married and divorced. See? I first met you when you were a nun. Oh. So okay. you agreed at my request to give us a run down the paths you took to achieve that accomplishment. <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> oh, good try. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking it may somehow edify, if not encourage those of us who have experienced similar marital foibles. Mm. So go ahead, sister. You're in good company here. Yes, you Yes. Are. Thank you, good kid. My first husband and I met in my sophomore year of high school. Sophomore year. Billy, he was in all the advanced classes with me. He went to the same church as me and we got to know each other well and Billy was cute. In June of our senior year, we married. My father insisted on it. If I wanted his blessing. My first baby was on the way, and my last baby was delivered almost a year and a half later. What had I gotten myself into? <laughs> but you know... <laughs> That wasn't a problem as much as the fact that I was much taller than Phil. What? Oh. What does height have to do with anything, Sister Beverly? Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, seriously, what are you? Five four? <laughs> no, PK. Three inches taller than that. But my husband, you see, was only four foot ten. Oh. It didn't bother me, really. I never gave it a thought. It bothered him more than it did me. 
until he began to compensate by lording over me what and how I was to spend my time. He didn't like the idea that I went anywhere by myself. He began getting paranoid about me going off to work on evening shifts at the hospital as an LPN. He was always digging me for information about the men on the floor that I was working with when I got home. And when I got home, I was just too tired to deal with that kind of shit. <laughs> that marriage dissolved, thankfully, very clean and quick. Billy didn't want the children. Maybe that was fortuitous. I was a mad woman, nevertheless. Too young to be dealing with what I was dealing with. Absolutely. Yeah, boy. That's right. I'll say. Okay, next. Uh, husband number two, Floyd, helped me raise my two kids I conceived with number one. Yeah. He was good with them at first. He, he was a sweetheart. He was raised a church boy, rebelled as you did, PK, then, unlike you, he returned to the fold in his mid-twenties. He had become a young deacon at the church we attended. It was kind of like the church you were raised in, PK. Floyd. Yeah. Oh, boy. I remember after about three years of marriage, he had volunteered to be church cleaner for the month of November. Seems there was nobody signed up for that slot. He usually cleaned the sanctuary early on Saturdays. It took him about an hour and a half to vacuum dust and straighten up the hymnals and Bibles and the pew racks. He must have liked the job so much he volunteered for the next month of December which was okay with me at the time. Yeah. He took it as a kind of spiritual stewardship. Oh, yeah. ah, and at the time, I really did admire that quality in him. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Then, about the third Sunday, when he had gone to do his service for the Lord's work, I decided to surprise him and join him at the church to help out with the cleaning. It was the weekend of Thanksgiving and I thought it would be appreciated and be well and sort of a pleasant time to spend with him. When I pulled into the parking lot, Floyd's truck was parked on one side of the rear entryway to the rec hall and Sunday school building and a shiny black Jeep Wrangler on the other. I thought nothing of it. I believed it to be the church organist vehicle. When I entered the sanctuary, I saw the vacuum cleaner and a couple cleaning rags draped over it in the carpeted foyer. Floyd was nowhere to be seen. The light in the organ loft was on with a bunch of sheet music on the rack. I called out his name, but no answer. Then, the strangest thing. I heard what sounded like two adults fighting in the basement where the Sunday school rooms were. I heard a woman's voice shrieking as if she was being beaten. 
I rushed quietly downstairs and found the room where what seemed like a struggle was going on behind the closed door. There was a lot of thumping and to my surprise, I then heard some giggling and the soothing murmur of a man's voice. In a flash, I recognized Floyd's soft laughter and that there was nothing like a fight going on. I instinctively ricocheted out across the rec hall and outside to the car. Then I felt compelled to check out the facts first before I started getting angry. I learned to do that from reading Shakespeare's comedies. The characters make presumptions that the audience know to be untrue. I laughed to myself as if what happened was not real, but a dumbass product of my imagination. I sat down in the car and decided to re-enter and start all over again. I felt I had to do this. As I entered the rec hall for the second time, I could hear the organ playing a prelude up in the sanctuary. Floyd was there in the rec hall, dusting down the chairs and tables. He acted very surprised to see me. So, what's going on, sweetheart? He asked and forced to grin as if he was glad to see me. His hair was ruffled and a long strand draped over his forehead and cheek. The buttons on his shirt were out of sync. I could hear the organ music starting up in the sanctuary again. I told him I'd come to help, but could see I wasn't needed here. Oh, boy. I turned and walked out the door as he called, Honey! Honey! Oh, honey, honey. I felt like I was exiting a foul-smelling shithole. I don't know if I was gagging or crying. Total surprise. What was the name of that gangster? Pretty Boy Floyd? Well, I'd met my Pretty Boy Floyd, and he made me gag and want to spit him out of memory. He sounds like a rancid block of cheese to me. Suddenly, I felt like I didn't belong there. I ran back to the car with my heart in my throat. I wanted to cry like a baby, but I couldn't. It was like I had the wind knocked out of me. I couldn't get out of that church parking lot fast enough. Oh, what a jerk. Asshole, really. Yeah, it took me a while to recover from that one. Even after the divorce. Terrible you had to suffer that. Amen. Amen. That was only two. Yes. Five, sister? Guess I was just on the rebound. Oh, sister. This is hard, PK. I know, I know. Number. Three, Charlie, was a very sweet soul, kind and gentle, not much more than a boy, now that I think about it. He helped me through the divorce from number two. We conceived our love child, my youngest daughter, but the marital bliss faded soon after her birth. 
He had no steady job, and I had to work to pay the rent and put food on the table. When he did get a job, he complained a lot about the pay and work conditions. Then, in a fitful burst of self-righteousness, he would quit or get fired. I thought this was very unlike the Charlie I had married. For weeks, he would lay around the house babysitting the children, watching television and drinking beer. My oldest daughter was 12 at the time, and she tended to the baby after school while Charlie slept on the couch. It didn't take me long to realize he was passed out drunk in the afternoons. I'd suggested a couple of times that he learn to use a dictionary and look up the definition of husband. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, he didn't like that too much. He just made himself righteous and indignant again. Then when he had an argument, he started throwing things and breaking them. He was getting ornery with the children and me. The older kids feared him. And Lordy knows how he cared for our infant child during the day. I never saw him change a diaper without me having to ask him to do it. No good. The day he backhanded me across the face, I couldn't take it anymore. I screamed, Get out! So hard my throat was sore for days. He roared off in my car. I called CPS and expressed my concern for the welfare of my children. First, they instructed me to file an order of protection against Charlie. Oh, I got my car back, by the way. Cops found him passed out in the municipal parking lot. Never saw him again, except once in the basement of the county courthouse, where I sued for custody of our infant girl. By that time... He had settled in with a young woman and wanted custody. But he didn't want his child that bad, and the divorce quickly took place. Gone. Done. I was so disgusted with myself, PK, and maybe a little ashamed for having fallen for him so soon after the second. Several years later, word got around to me that uh, he and his girlfriend contracted the AIDS virus most likely from a dirty, dirty needle they shared. Did you ever hear from him again? No. He oh. died young. He did. Oh, sounds like he was dead before he died. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yes, Bob, you got a point. Yeah. He was a deadbeat. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. Gosh, yeah. this is a real problem. Divorce twice after Charlie. Too bad. I just stop after my third one. Well, by then (laughs) I was getting pretty desperate, PK. I had to keep working at the school as a teacher's aide. I barely could afford a babysitter during that time. So I guess I decided to get Christianized again. The kids and me started attending church. It was a Pentecostal, very charismatic type church. Why? Pentecostal? Whoa, Sister Beverly, that must have been brutal. Oh no, PK. The people there were very warm, welcoming, 
loving, you know. They took good care of my family and me. Yeah, yeah. Naturally, as you might imagine, I met a special man at the church who wanted to personally take care of me. He was 20 years older than me and was near to his retirement. He was an insurance agent and a very decent fellow, well-liked in the community. That's right. That was it. We hit it off with each other and decided to marry. By then, I was more aware of the spiritual implications of marriage, that it was to be worked at as well as celebrated. Ed was very good with the children, and they grew to like him very much. With his income, I could have stayed at home if I wanted, but now that my youngest daughter was in the elementary school, I chose to go pursue a college degree and state teacher certificate and encouraged me to do that. It was great. I got the pleasure of stretching my brain again. How'd you ever manage to do that? Well, I had taken as many advanced courses in high school as one could possibly take which not only saved us considerable tuition costs, but allowed me to dive right into the teaching program as a college junior. Well, I was going to say that you must have been that kind of student. Oh, I had a strong work ethic. I took care of business. Did what had to be done. Yeah, Couldn't have done it without Ed's help, though. Well, sister, God rest we've his run soul. out of time. we better move on to husband number five. I remember number five. That shouldn't take long to tell, Sister Beverly. I remember him only vaguely. Well, since Ed's unexpected passing, I gradually lost interest in being a good Pentecostal. A good Christian soldier, as you put it once, TK. Working as a full-time English teacher was the best move I had ever made in my life. Things were going great. I worked with great people. I truly enjoyed the students. Then I met Jerry, a real charmer. We were about the same age. Jerry knew how to have fun. And we had a lot of fun together. He worked for the school maintenance department as a groundskeeper. He was generous with his money, which made me, as well as some of his work associates, wonder where it came from. He was a splendidly generous guy. I tell you. So we got married, to make it short. (laughs) It was short. Wasn't it, Sister Beverly? Hmm. I think I'm missing something here, folks. What's yeah. the the humor about? Well, you just best let Sister Beverly tell this one. Yeah, well, you know, I'm skipping a lot of details. Yeah. But he, Jerry said he was some kind of musician and oh, had yeah. a gig in the city. Oh, musician. He never came back. 
I was getting calls from my employer at the school because he hadn't shown up for work for two days straight. Then, the FBI visited me at the school. There was a young woman, an older guy, that interviewed me in the principal's office. I had no idea. Oh, What the hell? Turns out that my darling Jerry was wanted on grand larceny charges in the state of Florida. He was married to two other women down there. What an idiot. I almost felt sorry for him. Now he was on the run from the law. Crazy. Wouldn't you say that was the turning point for you, Beverly? Yeah, good point, Yes, it was time to stop, sit down, and reconsider. Yeah. It wasn't difficult to make the decision. I had 10 years vested in the teacher's retirement system and could receive a minimum pension. That's when I decided become a nun. My God. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I knew you entered a convent for a number of years. I certainly had no idea how you wound up there. Yeah. Oh, oh. A long road. God bless you. For they sharing, Sister Beverly. You yeah. said you were an English teacher. You must have read at a certain point the Canterbury Tales by Chaucer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, oh, yes. I remember. Oh, man, Chaucer. You know, he was a groundskeeper, too. Yeah, Like the beautiful yeah. Jerry, Sister Beverly. That's right. You remind me a little bit of Chaucer's Wife of Bath character, Sister Beverly. <laughs> Boy, she had her story. Yeah. Oh, you've done good tonight, Sister Beverly. Well, thank you, PK. And yes, Bob, I took a liking to that bristly old wife of Bath. And you know, she was on a pilgrimage along with the others to make obeisance at Canterbury. She was finding her way, I'd say. You're still finding your way, too. That's right. Uh huh. Damn right, brother. I'm still finding my way. There's something exciting about that. (laughs) Yes, indeed it is. Sometimes it's more like an acid trip. (laughs) Hit that music button and we'll close out this episode. Same button as last time? Yes, ma'am. You got it. May we all find our way. And thanks for listening. Just think of the stories our listeners could tell. We're still finding our way, people. Keep it up.